You're listening to Alternative Thinking, Both Sides of the Coin, a production of the Canadian Association of Alternative Strategies and Assets, where we explore today's markets and alternative investments from two distinct perspectives. In this episode, the tables are turned as my colleague Paul interviews Matthew Latimer, who heads the Federation of Mutual Fund Dealers, and little old me. We chat about how the industry is evolving to include more alternative investments, making us think that maybe you need a new moniker for these non-correlated investments, thanks to the liquid alts legislation that our team worked on for six years. It's a fun time as Paul gets to grill us on all things in a Canadian alts. James Brown is the president and co-founder of CASA. All opinions expressed during the show by James and our show guests remain their own and should be used for informational and educational purposes only. Find out more about CASA at casa.ca. Welcome. Today is February 26th, and this is Alternative Thinking, and I'm Paul Kuhner from CASA. For this episode today, I will be hosting our usual moderator, James Byrne from CASA, with Matthew Latimer from Federation of Mutual Fund Dealers. So let's start with self-introductions. Uh, let's start with you, Matt. Hi, thanks very much for having me today. Um, so I'm Matthew Latimer, the Executive Director of the Federation of Mutual Fund Dealers. Um, the Federation is an association that has been in existence for 25 years, uh, advocating for and representing the interests of mutual fund dealers, the MFDA channel. I've been the Executive Director since the beginning of 2019, and uh, I'm loving it. It's a great opportunity to be involved in the um, industry at the regulatory level, and um, I look forward to many more years to come. Thank you, Matt. Can you give the listeners a bit more background of what you were doing before 2019 prior to joining the MFDA? Prior to 2019, I was working in the trust nominee space um, as a wholesaler, visiting uh, dealerships and financial advisors across the country. So I guess during this role, you got a good breadth of advisors and seeing what their needs were and the needs of the back office as well. Yes, it gave me great insight into the back office processes um, dealership needs and um, goals and how those different pieces can fit together um, across the industry from so many different angles. It was uh, an interesting experience that I'm lucky to have uh, had the opportunity to do for so many years. Great. Um, How about a breakdown of your membership? What's your membership like? Um, So our membership is um, split into a few different categories. We have um, MFDA dealer members, and then we have their strongest supporters, which join the Federation as affiliates, um, where we have service provider and corporate affiliates, mutual fund affiliates, and um, a couple of individual affiliates. Well, we're almost at one year since COVID has taken over everything. Um, Maybe just let the listeners understand, how has your model changed given COVID, as well as the networking element that comes with being part of an association? Well, it's been a bit of a challenge to bring the networking experience to people the way we might have done before COVID. Um, So we're really trying to up our game in the virtual space in terms of generating more uh, opportunities to participate in working groups, to do one-on-one meetings and calls, and um, to ensure we have uh, top tier technology in place for the meetings themselves. Um, While we did have a bit of a lumpy start, things are going pretty well now. And um, that's that's been a positive. And we we hope to keep improving that um, as we look towards our conference that's coming up in April and seeing how we can best adopt technology for this new environment. Great. I'm sure James has a lot to say on this fact as well. 
So I'll pass it over to James. How about a quick introduction from you? Yeah, sure. Thanks. Uh, well, the shoe's on the other foot here, isn't it? Uh, so I've uh, we, we started CASA about three years ago, just over three years ago, Caroline and I. And uh, of course, Paul, you came on to a year and a half ago. So we've been just growing like gangbusters. Um, uh, we had, uh, what was it, like 103 members in the first year and then 190-odd and now like 260. And it's really, um, yeah, kind of growing. We shouldn't say beyond our expectations, but, uh, you know, we constantly, every every day, we're just thinking, what do members get from it? What, uh, what do they want from us? What can we deliver? And how can we kind of manage the expectations of everybody, whether they're investors or managers or service providers, so that, uh, so that you know, a year from now, or whenever they get the renewal or whenever they, they start to think, hey, what is what has CASA done for us? They, they just kind of think this is, yeah, we just got to stay in this because it's the best thing ever. So we, uh, you know, we have pretty high expectations of ourselves and what we, what we can deliver. And uh, we just, again, just hoping that we match the what, match what they're looking for. And then James, uh, for the audience, uh, how about a quick breakdown of the membership we have here at CASA? Yeah, we've got uh, we're really lucky. We had about a quarter are investors, so larger pension plans. Uh, uh, we show we have a half dozen public ones, and then some other non-public. A uh, dozen or so single-family offices. Uh, more than that, and then multifamily office uh, category, and then uh, broker dealers as well as IAs at the broker dealers. So we offer an individual membership for those that are allocating capital, uh, because uh, yeah, we just find that if they want to be involved and they're they're in the allocation process or you know an IA and such, and that's it's good to involve them. Managers are everywhere: uh, private equity, venture, incubators, a uh, lot of real estate, uh, private lending traditional hedge funds, uh, liquid alts. We have a three quarters of that market in Canada and even like cryptocurrencies and weather derivatives. Well, actually not weather derivatives, but we have life settlements. No, we do have weather derivatives. We have cap funds. Um, and 20% of our members are non-Canadian with nothing here whatsoever. So, and we picked up about $10 billion managers uh, that are predominantly from outside Canada over the last uh, four to five months also. Um, and then service providers, uh, the, the usual suspects, lawyers and accountants and, you know, other uh, consultants and such, uh, the ex- a few couple of exchanges. Uh, so a real potpourri, but everybody's really active in alternatives. And then uh, 10 startup founders. So we offer that for startup, uh, literally like fintech shops typically, but uh, some that do things like IoT for dairy farms. So they get involved in our founders pitch competitions. And so we're... We're looking at quite a few different ecosystems and, and building them up. I think you said something really interesting there, James. Um, hmm. <clears throat> it's not only doing the work and meeting the expectations of the member, but exposing that to them, um, yeah. making sure they're aware of all those things going on. And sometimes like a duck and the feet are paddling under the water and it looks like all is calm on the surface. Would you agree? Yeah, we're, yeah, you're right. Cause the, there's the expectations and then there's a the visibility and, uh, so we've done, we, I, I guess I do a lot through LinkedIn. I got a ton of like thousands of people on LinkedIn and, and then we do our emails as well to like 6,000 people or so. Um, and I just highlighted our starting alternative fund series where we have 12 or is it 18 hours of, uh, of how to start a fund, like a hedge fund in Canada. Like, and that's stuff that you would cost you hundreds of dollars in legal fees and months to figure out, or you could sit down for like a weekend and figure it all out right there. Uh, from the horse's mouth, so you know that that kind of stuff is invaluable, and we just want to make sure that's out there for people. Um, 
we're starting a chief operating officer chat, a coup chat, or whatever we might, whatever we might call it, where these folks that, especially during COVID, they're not getting together, they're not meeting people. Uh, we've been wanting to do this actually for almost a year now, but um, you know, and have have an area where they can they can talk about things, not really a committee meeting, but really just to allow them to 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 chat about topics, roundtable it, and and have a service provider come in and talk about something, and then go back to their chat. So um, that's that's one thing that's really important now because otherwise you kind of turn it on your book, and we've heard that from managers too who are who are looking for new investors. If you just talk to the people that you already know, then <laughs> that's all you're doing. You got to find new folks, especially in like the uh, the family office realm or the private investor realm. So. We've been uh, very active there. And, and reach out to those members that you haven't heard from in a while that have lost some of that engagement through this um, this terrible pandemic. So, Matthew, you had mentioned that you have a conference coming up in April. Um, why don't you just give the viewers a bit of background of the conference and, I guess, the target audience for this conference? Sure. Thanks, Paul. Um, so, our conference is... Uh, a conference and education day it's always been called um, this is our 10th year of running it um, and it would be virtual this year so um, we're a small staff here at the federation so it's going to be um, presented on the launch day of april the 20th we have some amazing speakers um, that are going to be appearing and i'm really excited to share that with you um, and i think it's going to be a great package um, for everyone involved there's um, a very reasonable ticket price. Um, we bring CE ticket credits to the table, and uh, we're very fortunate to be featuring our Paul Demery the third. Uh, will be coming to chat with us. Um, we have, mm -hmm. yeah, amazing. Uh, Grant Vingo um, from the OSC. There's a lots of things happening at the CSA level this year as well. We have a keynote talk from Preet Banerjee on the value of advice. Um, so there's just there's just a lot of things that provide perspective and value to dealers, and um, I think it's going to help them face what is really uh, a go forward market that's difficult to prove that value, and provide some perspective on the future of the marketplace, and maybe some practical tips on how to implement change that's going to financially benefit the dealer as well. We have a session on practical ETFs. Um, that should be uh, very good for dealers that uh, don't quite have a plan in place on how they can achieve something like that for their advisors and uh, a few other things that maybe we'll keep in our back pocket for now. So Matt, I remember the first time we met, it was a joint panel that CASA and MFDA held in September 2019, where we brought in the OSC to speak about liquid alts, also known as alternative mutual funds. Well, in January 2020, the CSA announced an exemption to finally approve advisors on the MFDA to be able to allocate their clients' wealth to these products. These same products have been offered by IROC dealers to the same clients for a few years now. As many listeners know, James and our colleague Caroline were both actively involved since 2013 to be able to have these products available on the IROC shelf. Matt. Can you go into detail on what the Federation's role was in advocating for these products to be able to have these available on the shelves of MFDA advisors? Um, sure, absolutely. So the Federation was involved um, pretty early on from the announcement of liquid alts when we 
were conversing with the MFDA and noticing some of the um, educational challenges related to their conversions from commodity pools where um, you had to have compliance oversight for every trade with a, a derivatives course or the um, CFA charter holder to oversee the trades. I mean, it's one thing that the advisors need the CSE, but it's an entirely different thing to expect out of compliance managers. So we began to reach out and approach um, the OSC, have a few meetings and um, talk about some of the challenges involved for um, obtaining those sorts of uh, oversight positions uh, to fulfill those oversight positions in the MFDA and how they weren't necessarily required as there's already products with higher risk levels that are available and those sorts of things just to reason it out a little bit and to hear their concerns about you know um, dropping an educational requirement and what would be in its place and so on and they were very reasonable uh, they were great discussions and nice people to deal with overall and you know the CSA has a a big full agenda so it took some time to come down the pipe but we're really pleased with the result i think it's going to um really uh open a new market and mfda dealers are exploring that now in terms of what's going to be on the shelf and how it's going to work with the different strategies in terms of risk ratings and 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 making them their advisors go through those educational processes but you know the opportunity to hedge and have some of these products um, for your everyday investors is just a, a beautiful thing and we're so happy that it's been enabled for the channel. Yeah, I hear you on that. Like we had, uh, like, geez, that was March 2013 when it first came out. I mean, there was the second thing in 2016, which people usually point to, but yeah, 2013, it was like waiting for Godot six years before a thing was done. But, you know, actually, yeah, because we were thinking from the IROC and OSC side, we didn't really, but actually in the first, what was it now? In the first one, they, they did say it was going to be MFDA right from the get-go. And then when the final version came out they said no no it's just going to be IROC for now um because i think maybe somebody pointed back to those 81104 requirements of having the cfa overseeing it but which in in IROC land yeah there's tons of people that have their cfa because in the osc it's required pretty much by law so to have the full thing so um but in the mfda world like how many mfda folks have their cfa it's like it's very very rare um uh so yeah we didn't really fully appreciate that that until they said oh there's no mfda <laughs> like what um and then uh, but the csa has been great like i remember uh one of their like the, the head of the task force in a public forum said you know we're open to exemptive relief in any area here the leverage the short cash shorting and all these things and you know we have a lot of stuff on uh we have some webinars on that and we have a lot of information on what the rules are but it's like the rules were, were really quite good um we just had the to, to work on the um uh, the idea of maybe having 10 prime brokers versus one uh, and uh, rehab authentication and, and custody, which was, you know, which, which got through it uh, after, uh, you know, some, some meetings and that, which is great. And you're totally right, Matt, Matthew, like they're, they're really open to like, how does this work? Like, uh, you know, let us know how the industry uh, functions at the end of the day, regulators can do whatever they like because they, they do hold, hold all the cards, but we really loved working with them because they were really open to, the discussions uh, for these uh, proposals for comments. So that was, uh, and the risk ratings, those will come more from the IROC side or who are the dealer, I guess. Um, and those have been, we've had ongoing discussions with them as well with the the product folks. So we have a meeting every couple of months with with all of the all the major dealers to to go through that and, and other topics as well. So just you got to be got to be continuously be active on these uh, in these areas though, which is which is awesome. <laughs> 
yeah, yeah, similar kind of development path for ETFs, right? We um, finally have that opportunity to get a bridging course and to start to really get these products um, more widely distributed. Um, and the MFD is such a large channel in terms of the number of financial planners and the communities that they touch and the number of families and that kind of thing. So uh, these are really enabling legislations that, that bring a lot more uh, tools to the table uh, for the channel. I'm really, really happy with it. And it can't be overstated um, how much I appreciate the uh, openness of the regulators to sit down and to see if there's some perspective they don't have or some tidbit of knowledge maybe they didn't have. Um, and, and likewise, to share it back um, in our directions, maybe perspectives or investor protection issues or, you know, things that we can uh, align on and uh, and develop our perspectives around. So, yeah, it's been a good experience. I was fortunate enough to spend two years in the MFDA channel as an advisor um, where I learned a lot and it was a great experience. I also do remember having to worry about CE credits as an advisor. Um, and Matt, you had a mention that there is an educational component to your conference. How did that work? Um, so it, it looks like at this point, and we're still tacking down a few final details, but it does look like um, the educational component of our website will be ready to go such that you um, purchase the course and register and log in directly on fmfd.ca, if I can throw a quick plug there, oh, cool. um, to access the conference, access, it's all video content, and um, and then receive your certificate to follow. Yeah, we've done something similar. We have um, our C Center, which we do with Learnedly, which actually I met the Learnedly folks at one of your meetings, uh, which is great. <laughs> so we had, um, uh, we set this up just this year, because we found there was so much content from the webinars, and the pod, like podcasts like this, because uh, we did probably a like hundred webinars last year, and then like fifty odd podcasts, and it was like we might as well use this because in real life it would cost us like two grand to do video at mm -hmm. a, at a live uh, uh, you know event, but now we can just it's obviously part of it. So um, so we we're we're looking to put up like thirty of each of those this year, and uh, I mean the trick is getting the the five or eight questions uh, for them as well, but. Uh, a lot of experience with doing doing uh, questions with Kaya, so that's not not a big deal. But it's just a matter of the time, I guess. And then for our conferences, like you've done, like I'm interested in what you've done actually, because we, for our, our wealth managers forum, we had 18 sessions, and then we had 16 sponsors. So each of the sessions we have the video, and I think we're going to do pretty much all of them in as a CC course. And if we're light on the timing, like if it's only say just 45 minutes, and you need to get it closer to an hour, then we also have a like a, a piece of uh, like a deck or a, type, a reading for people to do as well. And then for each of the sponsors, they could put up something too. And we have a, we have some compliance uh, hours in there as well, which is kind of cool. And, um, and also some of our members are just proactively putting up their, their decks uh, talking about their, their strategy. And to some degree they're fun, but we try to keep it less product focused because uh, our idea is education, but uh, so we're getting some traction there. And ours, uh, you're charging for yours because ours actually is free, <laughs> and uh, and we just kind of see it as a as a service to I guess CIA's get it gets us in front of them, and also gets them what we think is like really good curated content like you'd have there, and uh, for our members they get the exposure, so it's uh, kind of like this win 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 all around. So, and I remember like I yeah, I started a DS like it was like 
you have to get the CA. What C credits? What the heck is that? And we used to have, have physical pieces of paper in a file because <laughs> we print out the PDF. But now it's uh, it's getting a lot easier, obviously, because you can just put these things in a in a. We never I, we never trusted our computer folders there because back then we just had like resident drives. We didn't have you know drop Dropbox and stuff. So that's uh, that's pretty cool. So how did you get you? So you're getting all the C for your courses. Um, I'm interested in, in the, how you guys got that set up. Well, um, the it, the major problem we're trying to solve, I think, is that every year we have the conference and there is this great content and there's no way to access it again. So I don't think we're going to charge for all of the content we have, but at the same time, providing it for free, almost um, like it's a balancing. It almost gives someone an incentive to not attend the conference if they can receive it for free to follow, right? Um, so we, we try to look at that really closely and maybe some of this content will become come out from behind a paywall later, but it's just a just a dipping a toe into the offering some CE credits on a website, see what the take up is um, beyond the initial conference launch and um, whether that's mm -hmm. going to be helpful to members um, or not so much. And we'll take it from there, make some decisions. Mm, cool. Yeah, for ours, they got to kind of come back and they could watch it again, or they could watch a few minutes, a couple minutes of it, and then do the do the test, and then get their get their credits. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, we like to have it so they can just get it, but apparently you have to do a test and figure out if they're actually watching it. So, but uh, yeah, that's yeah. cool, man. It's clear that both sides is investing a lot on technology, um, especially with COVID. Um, so I guess once COVID is slowly coming to an end, hopefully in Canada by next year. Um, what do you see? How do you see your model changing? How do you see a hybrid approach with this technology, or how do you see it going forward, there, Matthew? Well, I'm really excited to get back to the in-person meetings. I really feel that was, you know, a better way to do it. You know, you get together, you have the the membership meetings, some real face-to-face -face discussions, and a nice lunch to follow, and that's just always so enjoyable. But I think the change will be to make that room and make that experience available for those that can't be there, like to, to make sure there's a camera in a room and an opportunity to, to see everyone, even if you can't be there, because there's gonna be folks that are less comfortable coming back into a group environment. And obviously there's some demographics involved with that. So um, it, it, it is a bit of a searching out process. And because we do our meetings, uh, you know, one month at one member's office, another month at another member's office, um, Bit of a round robin there's some differences in technology and, and what's available and and how to handle all of that stuff so it gets a bit gets a bit involved but we're going to do our best to to make our way through it this year well hopefully this year right yeah we've been kind of struggling with that too struggling in that we're thinking like how the heck is this going to work because the hybrid of having like i guess for meetings it's not bad but you're right you, you have like certain like some companies have big Technological technological setups and others have a camera on somebody's computer, which is, you know, just the just depends on how they you know how much they have as a spend really on their their boardroom. So and, and then how do you and all that? Yeah, yeah, yeah integrate them and everything. Like for our conference or, or events, like do we have it set up so that we're recording it? And for the conferences, actually, isn't that big of a deal to add a camera and have mm -hmm. the conference recorded and send it out to people uh, or simulcast it probably so. That's not a big deal, but for the one-off ones, we find that it's probably too grand to get a camera and lighting in the room. Yeah, we'll see how it shakes out. And it might be a, I don't think, I, don't know, I wonder when the stigma of, of flying might end. I still, I think there is right now. If you went somewhere now, it'd be like, what are you doing? Plus it's almost impossible to get back to Canada. 
Um, but when it opens up, it'll be like, why don't we just do it? If you're lo- if I say I'm going to Tokyo and I'm like, Hey, let's meet. If like eight out of 10 say, why don't we just zoom? And I'm like, Oh, well now when am I going to Tokyo like, or, or to Colorado or to New York or whatever. Right. So it's, uh, it'll be interesting how it, how it plays out, but I kind of want to be contrarian and get on a plane as much as possible and see how it goes. I hope you can manage that. That would be uh, that would be great to at least know somebody gets to go um, out of the country. But I think I might have identified a silver lining out of this um, awful pandemic. Hmm. I think all this technology may possibly finally have killed the fax machine. <laughs> yeah. Why do people with fax numbers on their cards? Like, please don't. <laughs> yeah. I really want to hear your thoughts and perspectives, Matt, on the discussions that are happening on the CSA level when it comes to SROs. Um, for those that don't know, SRO stands for Self-Regulatory Organizations. Um, sure. So the discussions as they're happening right now at the CSA level is um, a review of the MFD and IROC and uh, if there's investor and industry benefit from uh, consolidation or a reconfiguring or reimagining of what they could be instead of what they have evolved to be necessarily. So there's a lot um, happening there. I think some important things to take into consideration are um, minimal impact to in-place businesses, um, streamlining and efficiencies to address costs, um, enhancing and bringing benefit where we can to the Canadian investing public um, for their confidence and trust in the financial system and the people that are servicing them, um, while at the same time um, making sure that we don't create new barriers to entry or hurdles to forming new businesses. Um, we always want to have a stream of entrepreneurs um, disrupting, changing, growing, and uh, adding vibrancy to the culture of the business, I think. Mm-hmm. With that in mind, um, the Federation is participating in every way we can in discussions, um, comment letters, um, providing feedback one-on-one with Capital Markets Task Force, CSA members, um, other industry associations to ensure that our member voices are known. So if you're listening to this and you're a member of the Federation um, and we haven't had a discussion, please reach out and uh, let's do that right away. Um, the expectation, as I understand it, Paul, on the next step is for a CSA uh, public consultation. I guess that would be the second one um, for early summer or midsummer. And um, we're really looking forward to seeing what they've taken from the first consultation and the comment letters um, to bring forward as being, um, in their opinion, the key bits that they need more information on. And maybe we can get a sense of the direction they're looking to go. I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that the two SROs um, form together as is. Mm-hmm. The MFTA put out an opinion that it should be a new SRO built from scratch using the best of both SROs. So there's kind of two competing visions there. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, the Federation and everybody just wants what best, what's best. We're working towards a, a, a goal of making financial services um, better and more efficient and more accessible across the country. Yeah. I guess from our side, like, like I rock when I, when I started at DS, it's like, it, 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 it's really a, an organization by brokers for brokers It's to make sure that what everybody is, is pulling together and not basically not screwing things up so that the industry looks bad because they, they, they love to like, they, because it, it's, they know the industry, they know um, 
you know, they're they're there for investor protection, but they're also there for the continuity of the of the their members and the brokerage firms, and to like to continue to have uh, trust and faith in the in their trading and uh, advisory services that they bring. MFDA is similar, uh, mutual fund dealers association. But then there's say the OSC or the different uh, securities commissions, whether Ontario, the AMF in, in Quebec, and and others across Canada, BC and Alberta, and such. Every province and territory. Um, you know, those are are government organizations, and it's kind of it's not. It just it's just another way to regulate, another way to rather than being by the members, it's by the government. So, you know, both have pluses and minuses, and both have, um, you know, uh, the both are looking out for investors and making sure that the that the industry continues to move forward. Um, and Absolutely. we were looking at the like we 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 we've we just been talking about the OSC merging with others, and and that's tough to do. It's almost as tough as two big banks getting together in Canada. Um, but uh, so we, we would support that, and but, you know the other side is hard or the the stopgap I guess is, I guess is harmonization through national instruments. And even though there are national instruments, uh, there are some that are not harmonized. Uh, there's some that specifically have some provinces do things differently, or clubs of provinces do things differently. So as much as that can be minimized, that's great and and maximize the harmonization. Um, yeah, MFDA, IROC, and then there's EMD, which is the exempt market dealers, which was kind of like a halfway between mutual fund dealers, which only dealt with funds, uh, and now I guess ETFs, and then IROC, which was everything, every kind of security. Uh, EMD was is um, now can just sell the offering memorandum or the the prospectus exempt products. So having that all under one probably makes sense because they're 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 serving different investor groups, but you have you can have an investor that could have an EMD product or product with an EMD with an MFDA with an IROC broker, and then you can have one with uh, or someone that just has an MFDA if they're if they're not accredited investors or they're not dealing in security. So there seems to be all these kind of rules, uh, like kind of big huge matrix. And why not just make it simpler? Um, well, I, I could jump in there, James, if you yeah. don't mind for a moment. Um, that's definitely one aspect of it, and what makes the discussion so complicated is that um, these proposals to put the SROs together, um, one of the proposals is just to do first things first and to merge these two. Um, and then from there, take a look at some of these other uh, industry categories and make individual assessments about whether they should be rolled in and whether that's portfolio managers, or scholarship planner, plan dealers, mm -hmm. or RESP firms, or as you mentioned, exempt market dealers as like a phase two or a phase three. And then, um, as I mentioned, the other approach would be just to um, write the big plan and include or exclude everything at the get-go and then just start implementing. And, um, you know, there's there's some concerns about um, the timelines that may become involved if uh, they have such a big vision. Would it come to fruition or would it stall? So that's a bit of a concern as well. Yeah, no, that's right. Yeah, when you, have a, when you start to get a big plan, uh, then it starts to become a big plan. You got to... You got to figure out ways to execute it. Yeah, I think the one thing everybody agrees on is that change is warranted and needed. Um, Matt, I guess you guys are doing a lot of advocacy for your clients as well as your members. Um, I guess a question should be asked is who should be asking to join your federation? What I guess your ideal members and what kind of questions should they be asking when they're coming into your association? Sure, thank you. Um, so as we're celebrating our 25th year of advocacy, the Federation was actually formed to provide input onto into the creation of the MFDA. 
um, and we've been here for many, many years. Um, I think that MFDA dealers should join the Federation because we're the uh, only dedicated voice of mutual fund dealers in Canada, and we only raise dealer issues. Um, that being said, we also have affiliate members who want to step forward and show themselves as being strong supporters of the MFDA channel. Um, and this includes um, both corporate service providers um, and uh, mutual fund company members, but that's not to exclude any other categories like ETF providers or hedge fund providers that want to support the MFDA channel and to be seen to be shorting, uh, supporting them, to participate in discussions with MFDA dealers at the point where these issues are coming forward on the regulatory landscape and, and bouncing around the, the table in terms of how they're to be approached or what the impacts are to dealers, um, because that can definitely impact um, service and fund company providers' businesses. So there is a lot of value there. Um, and yeah, we're open to inquiries if anybody wants to reach out. Thank you very much for the question. Yeah, for sure. And I know with here at CASA, our scope of different members and different member type has grown with the introduction, oh my God, of, it's all over here. Yeah, with the introduction <laughs> of founders. Um, while the 20% of our members do not have a physical presence in Canada, um, no office here. So we like to say that we're bringing the Canada to the world and the world to Canada. Um, James, I guess, like, where do you see our membership growing? <laughs> yeah, because when we started, it was probably probably sounded pretty wishy-washy, like stuff we were going to do. If you're like, well, whatever members want to do, man, we'll we'll find a way to to get that together. And and uh, people were like, oh, what, what, what are you going to do? But, I, you know, having already had about 10 years in association management, probably people just said, okay, we'll go in and we'll we'll see what you guys end up coming up with. And um, our... Uh, our members come in for tons of reasons. Like some are, uh, admittedly, a lot of the managers, like they're looking, especially now, is to connect with investors and present their their ideas to them and their their strategies and or their asset classes. Um, and we try to do it in a way that is not too salesy. I mean, obviously, the people are going to talk about their their book and things, but um, so we have when we do our sessions, we're like, don't mention the name of your fund or your returns. It's just going to change. When we do the papers on real estate and lending and quant and private equity and venture, like you're talking about your specific area, whether it's European venture or, um, or uh, private equity secondaries and stuff like that. But, you know, to talk about the structure of the actual fund in a paper like that, you know, anything they can get on the website is, is, is fair game uh, for the website, but not really for the stuff we're doing. So, and we we're pretty clear about that. Like, and we're not like really cap intro, uh, although we do set up like say a hundred rooms or so each year, whether it's in a webinar or a podcast or at some point in real life where people can get together. Um, and the investors love that. Like our investors are um, like are paid in that. Those are paying and paying members, actually the, uh, the uh, what is it like 50 or so that we have um, or 70, I guess. And then um, the ones that come to our conferences are typically 40 to 55% investors at our conferences. We don't send out their email or phone numbers. We don't, you know, say, Oh yeah, you should, you, you know, we're not really bird dogging for the for the managers, which which because uh, they they just get a chance to nose nose around, see the different types of strategies that are there, hear about new ideas, and if they're into it, they reach out to the managers. So uh, their 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 motivations are you know let's see a bunch of different ideas everywhere from cryptocurrency to real estate, and then real estate of cryptocurrency maybe, uh, and 
kind of open their eyes to, to different stuff in different different areas. Like we have some members in Europe, in Bermuda, US, you know, they they come in from all over to talk about the uh, the strategies that they have. So I guess uh, yeah we invite people to talk to us as well. Like just see where see where see where it can work. And if it's uh, if we're of a like mind then we make it it's a pretty low ante to join and to to get involved. Like we don't want to make it accessible for even for the smaller managers, like 50, 25 million. And as well as some of the larger ones that are 30, 40, 70 billion dollars and uh, to, for that for everybody to get value as well as pension plans of the hundred million dollar hundred billion dollar variety to newer family offices of 25, 50 million or RIAs who are maybe just starting in the business and this is a way to differentiate themselves is to join and, and get active and, and learn about new new products so yeah, it's a possibly the worst marketing line ever. We like to be everything to everybody, as long as it's alternative. So, <laughs> you know what I heard, James? I I heard you saying that you know get involved, um, get engaged, and mm-hmm. um, you know take um, get access to to what's of most interest to you. I, and, and I agree, um, being engaged and and participating in your association gives you more out of it. Like the more you put in. The more involved you in you are, the more the more you're going to receive in return. Absolutely. Yeah, and people have ideas. Like at the end of our conferences, our big ones, we have a survey, and it's not ten ways you like this speaker or whatever. It's like, what do you like? What do you not like? What can we do better or different next time? Or what do you what do you think we should add? And we get a ton of great input input from that. I mean, we'll get people saying stuff to us, and then. But then we'll see it in a survey, like, okay, yeah, they said it again here, <laughs> and uh, or they'll have an idea, like, what, like increasing the time for the meetings, one-on-one meetings from fifty minutes to twenty. Sure, we'll just change that, change that constant, done. And no one has said it's too long. Uh, some people are saying we should do it longer. So we we, we always use that input to increase the uh, or you know enhance the experience of, of everybody at the conferences, and it's uh, it's been great. Yeah, not just even from our conferences, but also when we get our members coming to us and with awesome ideas for webinars. Yeah. And a lot of our, what members don't realize, those that are not that involved, a lot of our ideas come from our members. And one of our members come up with this idea and we find our other members, we make it into a, a make sure we have people mm-hmm. representing all sides and we make it happen. And the more our members put in to the association, the more they'll see they'll get out of it. That was a wonderful chat with everybody. Um, we should do it again. Yeah, that's been great. Thanks, Matthew. And Paul. Thanks, <laughs>